Welcome to the Way Niagara Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Berta. Well, I always enjoy introducing our audience to my friends and those that are willing to talk to me. So this is going to be a good conversation. So my guest today is now Dr. Andrew Rutledge. And I bring that up because we're going to kind of talk about his work and his journey to that. We've been friends for almost a decade and have been in church together, but we've also been a part of a group of guys that have just hung out on Monday nights, and it's where real life happens, and I think that is very similar to way in that we are not trying to over-program ourselves, but put ourselves in positions where we are in strong enough relationships that when we need each other, we are there for each other, and I know Andrew has been that for me in many ways, and so I'm going to Welcome today to the Way Niagara podcast, my good friend. He is the executive pastor of Next Gen Ministries at Central Community Church in the Niagara region. And so welcome, Andrew. Thank you, Jordan. It's uh, fun to be here. Yes, and, looking yeah. forward to doing this. We didn't. We did a recording together for a previous podcast I hosted about five years ago. That was a long time ago. And so this is fun that we get to do yeah. this together. And... Um, it's been fun to kind of be a part of your journey um, as a pastor. And you spent a lot of time as a youth pastor, and yep. now you're overseeing. Wow. Mm-hmm. So the when you started, babies were born that you would be their youth pastor when you were finishing that up. Yeah. I mean, it, I've been in youth ministry now for 25 years, or ministry in general, I guess, 25 years. And so uh, when I started, the kids that were in grade 12 at that time, my, my senior youth, are now 42, 43 years old. And so it is terrifying that <laughs> they now have children who have graduated from youth ministries and are all in college and university. Uh, and, and I'm still here, but that's okay. Yeah, but now you have a broader scope. You're overseeing yeah. everything from birth up to young adults. Yep. Yeah. And so that's, and that was a couple years ago you made that. About two and a half years ago, I made transition. that switch here at Central. And uh, it's been, yeah. it's been a, an amazing ride since then. That's awesome. And another area that you oversee at Central is leadership development for the whole church. And I really find that to be kind of a cool combination. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. But why do you think that those two areas fit so well together? Well, again, as you said earlier, uh, my doctoral work was in uh, leadership, and maybe you didn't say it, maybe I imagined that, but um, uh, the next generation is obviously the next generation of leaders. They're the ones who are stepping into leadership now and will be leading the church. Someday when I'm dead and gone, they'll still be here, and so... Um, you know, equipping and raising up them as good, strong leaders, it's our responsibility to prepare them to lead the church of the future. Obviously, the church of the future will look different than what we're doing now, but the same principles, the same theology, all of that will carry through. And so anything we can pass on to them while we're still here will make them better and stronger leaders to carry the church into the 22nd and 23rd centuries. That's amazing. Yeah. Because we were both born in a different century. Yes. Than different even millennium. Yep. Yeah, that is actually kind of hard to believe. Uh-huh. My children are all on the opposite side of the millennium as me. It's, uh, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> we're old, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. So in 25 years of ministry, what would you say is the biggest difference 
in how youth ministry is being done now versus back then? I've actually get asked that question a lot. And it's kind of funny in a sense that at its heart, youth ministry hasn't changed. Youth ministry has always been about preparing uh, and providing a space for teenagers to safely explore life, to grow into the people God has called them to be. It's always been about um, uh, loving youth in the midst of everything they're going through. The biggest shifts in youth ministry would be the influence of culture on our kids. Uh, our youth and young adults are being bombarded by stuff I would have never dreamed of as a teenager. Um, let alone the impact of social media. I mean, we could speak, people speak on that for years, just the impact social media has had on kids. We see um, mental health crisis in the way that didn't exist when I was first in ministry. Uh, and, and so there are some areas along those lines where our kids are really battling through some hard stuff. Some of what we're going through has always been there. You know, I, I think of the wars that are happening now. There were wars when I was a kid, even when I was in junior and senior youth. Um, I was in senior youth when Iraq was invaded, um, Afghanistan when I was a young adult. Um, those things have always happened to the uh, world scale, but on the individual personal level, um, youth are just being bombarded with stuff that uh, such a anxiety has risen in youth. Um, suicidal ideation and attempts uh, is far beyond anything I ever had to deal with in the early days of my ministry. And so, yeah, and so to get into your dissertation, because it kind of reminds me, I read it again last night, to be prepared for this conversation. Yeah, and what you, you're talking you, about... <laughs> I was going to say, you've probably read it more than I have, which is kind <laughs> of amazing. <laughs> it's one of those things where you finish and you're like, I don't know if I ever want to see that again. So I appreciate that you <laughs> have taken the time to read it. Uh, but anyway, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, it's, it's okay. And we've been, because we've been talking about this for years as you've been working on it and going through the, d the process of doing this. But one of the things that caught my eye um, from one of, so basic, the basics of this is that you interviewed and with some different methodologies, but you got information, surveys, interviews, focus groups from people in the church that are young leaders from, I think, 18 to 30. Yeah. And the comments from one of them in particular really caught my eye because it was actually talking about how they don't feel equipped to help with those that are in crisis, that are suicide yeah. ideation, mental health challenges. Yeah. And so what did you learn from actually like getting that kind of feedback from that person? So that's a, a classic example of exactly what I was just talking about, this shift in ministry where, you know, when I went through um, Bible college and seminary, we were taught a lot of the how-to of ministry, how to uh, put a, a message together, how to speak properly, how to, how to uh, properly um, discern what the Bible's trying to tell us. Um, very practical stuff. We weren't taught how to care for the mental health of a child. How do, what do you do when this, uh, a teenager says, I'm thinking of killing myself? Um, and in some ways, our, and this is not a knock against our education fields, but in some ways, education hasn't caught up to what's actually happening on the ground, where you're right, the, several leaders were pointing out, these are the things we actually need training in. We need to know, what do we do when a kid says, I want to end my life? Um, and so that's, like I said earlier, that's the big shift that has happened in ministry, uh, that we now as pastors and as ministry leaders have to be more focused on 
caring for the kid than actually programming. Programming has become very secondary to ministry. Whereas when uh, I was early on, it was, you know, my whole role was to run a Wednesday night program, run fun events over the weekend, um, almost like it was about entertaining kids. I mean, life transformation happens in those moments. Don't, don't get me wrong. In fact, some retreats, not only that I attended, but that I've led, have been some of the most significant moments of my life. But where we're at now is those have to become secondary because it's that everyday uh, care and concern and consideration for the kids that um, that has to take precedence. And because of social media, there's actually almost 24-hour access yep. to your students. Because yep. I remember when I was in high school, which was before social media really existed and hit big, that, yeah, there would be times where a youth pastor would come on campus right. for something, but really you saw them on Wednesday night yep. or on Sunday or whatever. And I don't remember even having a youth pastor's phone number, like yeah. cell phone or something like that. So it's not like today when you have potentially 24-hour access and we could get into the ethics of having that yeah, kind of contact. Yeah. <laughs> we're not advocating for 24-hour access. No. I see what, you, what you're saying is true, though. There is 24-hour access in a safe way. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't want to get either of us in trouble here. For sure. For sure. And it's like I still remember my youth pastor really being intentional about setting boundaries yep. around never being alone with, right. with someone, especially of the opposite sex. And always making sure that there were strong accountability systems. Yeah. But now when it's on your phone, it's that much harder. Like for yeah. me in ministry, I just simply won't add yeah. someone underage. Just yep. not at all. Yep. Now, I'm not particularly in youth ministry. And so that's everyone has to make their own decisions. But right. it was drilled into me even as a high school student the importance of accountability and the right. importance of protecting yourself. But the point still remains that your ministry has 24 hour access yeah. into students' lives. Yeah. And that's a very different thing than yeah. primarily seeing them at the program that you're running. Right. Right. Yeah. Crisis rarely waits for an, uh, a convenient time to arise. So uh, a, a student's struggling with, um, Again, I know it's it's a, a dramatic example, but a student struggling with suicidal ideation isn't going to look at the clock and go, oh, uh, Pastor Joe isn't available right now. I should wait until tomorrow morning to even think about this or reach out. So, um, so we have to, there's a balance that has to take place there about how do kids get the help they need while we protect ourselves. It's actually become... Um, this two-edged sword, for lack of a better term, in that um, pastors have to be available, but in a safe way, but 24 hours, but respecting their privacy and all the... So, and again, this is part of the struggle for leaders. You know, we were talking about what's changed. You're right. I can, I can remember 15 years ago when a youth would email me from the school and I'd be like, oh my gosh, look at this. This is amazing. They reached out via email. Now it's just commonplace. Like when I was a kid, you saw your youth pastor on Sundays. So I'm at the Wednesday program. And then if you had a special event, maybe there, you didn't see him the rest of the time. You had no access to them the rest of the time. I didn't have a car. I couldn't have gone. I, I, I wasn't about to drive over to their house. Um, it, there just wasn't access like there is now. And so it's a, a, a blessing and a curse in that it's oh, absolutely. kids are wrestling 24 hours 
um, and need help 24 hours, um, but it's also a curse that we also need uh, the, the, the distance. For sure. Uh, and so how are you, because you're now primarily in a role of mentoring and coaching and overseeing the leaders of Next Gen Ministries, how are you coaching your pastors to do that? That is a fantastic question. Obviously, we have very, very specific guidelines around communication. And so the coaching is all around uh, when somebody does reach out, who do you then go to? How do you uh, include other leaders? So we have uh, a lot of open communication with groups of leaders. Um, and I mean, I'm not saying we do it perfectly. There are, um, and we're blessed to not have had a number of crises over the years. I mean, we've had some hard moments with kids and youth. Um, but we we do coach them first and foremost to not have uh, one-on-one conversations with kids via text or email or whatever. Uh, we use um, a texting program here that allows us to communicate with kids but keeps a tracking record of them all. It saves all of the text messages. We try to include parents as much as possible in those conversations or other leaders so that there's never uh, conversations happening in isolation. And, and so uh, we try to put those kind of systems in place that allow the communication to happen, but not um, in private. So that way kids know I can get a hold of somebody. Um, I'm, often they know that it's not even necessarily the pastor that they're reaching out to, that's their group leaders, but they always know that there's somebody available to me. Um, and to be honest, the privacy thing doesn't necessarily become a problem. When someone's in crisis, they don't necessarily care how, uh, you know, who, who is sharing this. They just want help. Right. And I even remember when, you know, first appointment with a new counselor, they make very clear yeah. that, yeah, this is confidential until yeah. Yeah. The, like, there are certain risks involved. Yeah. And, and so that, yeah, that's an important thing. And like you said, when you're in crisis... You just need yeah. help. Absolutely. Now, another part to what you were sharing in your dissertation was about how to empower leadership. Yeah. And not just for younger leaders to be relegated to certain things, but really to help raise them up. Right. And when you were kind of reading the case studies and being involved in that learning, what did you learn about true empowerment over just simply delegation? Right. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll give this context first. What I was seeking to explore is what are young adults ages 18 to 30 asking for when it comes to being empowered in leadership? So some people might push back and say, that's what they're asking for. That's not necessarily what they need. But I wanted a starting place to say, what is our young adult generation asking for right now? What are they, number one, what do they think about church leadership? Do they even care to be involved? Um, and if they do care to be involved, what are they needing from that? And so those learnings, um, some of the key ones were this. Number one, and again, this isn't, um, some people are going to hear me say this and be like, Andrew, that's so basic. We all know that. But I'm going to say it simply because, yes, we all know it, but we're not doing it because this is what they're still asking for. And the very first most important thing they're asking for was personal mentorship, somebody who will walk through life with them, not just to help them learn how to lead in a church context, but this is what they were asking for. I did a focus group with like 40 or 50 young adults in a room, and they were all saying the same thing. They were saying, we want to know how do we apply our Sunday 
learning about church, our theology, to Monday morning when I go to work? How do we apply it when I look at my finances? How do I apply it in my relationships with my wife, with my kids, with, um, obviously a lot of them aren't married, but they're just looking to the future. of I need somebody to help me know, how do I actually apply my theology to my day-to-day life? Um, and again, some leaders will be like, yeah, we all know mentorship's important, and we do, but the, obviously we're not doing it well because this is what they resoundingly were asking for somebody to walk through life for them. So if we all know it, now it's time for us to do it. That was the biggest thing I learned. They just need us to walk through life with them. Um, there can be this opinion of any next generation that it's like, no, we want to just get a, get rid of the generation before us. We don't want them telling us what to do, but that's simply not the case. And in fact, not only did it come up in my dissertation, but I've read it in other research where even today's, uh, for lack of a better term, Generation Z, the post-millennials, the kids who are in the 18 to 25 age range, um, the, the younger millennials included in that, um, they are craving the interaction with the boomer generation. So my parents, the grandparents, the people in their 60s and above, young people and their young adults want and need to be around seniors. They, they skip over their parents. We all know no, nobody listens to their parents until they're into their 30s. You know, I told my dad a long time, and this has been said by many people, that the older I get, the smarter my dad gets. Um, and But when I'm in that 18 to 30 generation, I didn't want anything to do with them. I knew what was going on. I can remember trying to tell him there was a, a merger of denominations, and I'm like, this is what you should do. And I think he just looked at me like, oh, oh how little you know. But our young adults are craving the knowledge and the wisdom of our boomer generations, the grandparents. So here's a great idea for a lot of churches is just get your seniors in the same room as your younger people. There doesn't have to be a divide. Seniors have so much to offer and the young adults want it. Uh, we have a, a, a senior who's uh, on our staff still and our young adults just love him. They crave him. They request him for their pre- uh, for their weddings. Still, um, they just that's what they're seeking. It's just give me your knowledge. And so this the notion that they just want to do away with what's been ha- done. They just want to eliminate old school church. It's just not true. They're just looking for somebody who's willing to walk alongside them and say, "Hey, let me help you. Let me teach you. Let me share with you." Um, not necessarily do it for them, but that's, that's what they're craving is just help me understand how do I live my life as a Christian, not just how do I lead a Bible study or how do I create a life group or how do I run a youth event? How do I live every day? And that's what they're craving. Right. And there was another case study participant that had made the comment that they didn't need to be in the room of making decisions but they did want an open door policy to be able to ask how decisions were made. Yes. Yep. And to just to learn the process because sooner or later they're going to be in a position of making those decisions Yep. and they'd rather learn now the house. And then when the time comes for them that they have something to look back to. Yeah. We need to open up our decision-making matrices to more people. Again, one of the pushbacks I get from this kind of thing, because I think that young adults need to be in every board meeting. doesn't mean they need to have a vote, because here's the pushback I always get from churches. Well, people, 20-year-olds aren't ready to make decisions for the church. And I then say, well, what have you done to get them ready? So maybe don't put them on the board as a voting member. 
put them on the board as a representative of their demographic where they can give you input and uh, inform your decision making and you can help give them the wisdom they need on how to approach those things um, because resoundingly young adults are saying in their surveys they were saying that they don't either two things they either said they don't feel heard by the church that the church didn't care for their opinion or number two even when they did hear them the church didn't do anything about it again it's not that they want the church to do everything their way they just want to be heard, that the church actually understands their needs, their wants, their desires. Too often, and this happens in leadership in general, too often the people in charge want to dictate what you get. They're like, well, no, I know better. I'm in this position because I know what needs to happen here. But true leadership is actually getting input from all of those pieces and making the best decision for the whole. Um, it's not about uh, this authoritarian, I'm in charge, I've got it all together. It's about serving the, the, the whole and getting all, all the parts involved in that decision making and in that leader. Ultimately, somebody has to make a decision. Um, and so I'm a big proponent of what, what we call flat leadership. And what flat leadership means is it's not always the same person making the decision. It's the best person making the decision in that, in that situation in the sense that ultimately a decision has to come down. Somebody has to be the final, and the, the great way to that, of course, is that person has to be the final ac accountability. Um, but it's about making sure it's not always the same people. It's about making sure decisions aren't being made behind closed doors in the context of a church. Obviously, there are some things that need to be dealt with in private, but in general, church leadership was never designed to be a few people controlling the whole. Um, I, again, I wrote about this in, in the dissertation, just my, my own personal theology, that looking at the New Testament, you always see large groups of people coming together to discuss major issues. There was always this group leadership mentality that uh, we're always better off with uh, more people involved. The body of Christ imagery is powerful in that every part is equally as important, whether you're the big toe or you're the face of the body. Um, you're equally important. And so everybody needs to have a voice. Ultimately, like I said, there has to be a decision making, but it cannot always rest in the same person. One of the big shifts in pastoral ministry, I guess, you know, I'm rambling here, Jordan, a bit, but one of the big shifts in pastoral ministry is that pastors have gone from just pastoring people to being almost like a CEO, having to handle buildings and finances and human resources and, uh, um, the legal, legal side of a church. Sometimes we forget the church is a legal entity in, in, the, in the province and in the country, and there's a whole set of laws and rules and regulations. No one person can manage all of that. A lead pastor can no longer be the only voice and the only decision-making. Um, you can't have uh, your pastor who has a Bible college education making decisions about the heating systems being installed in the building. They are not HVAC mechanics. Maybe they are. Some people have multiple talents, but in general, we can't lead every facet of the organization anymore. And so we need to open up our decision-making to a broader spectrum of people. And that was really the interesting part about this as well. Like, and, and you and I have talked about this for years because your master's work was on this as well, that Again, it's all about empowerment. Yeah. And it's not, it's no longer centered around one person. Yeah. It's also no longer centered on one event. Like that, that whole idea of like, where do you go to church? Yeah, that's right. still the phrase that people will use. But the more I'm talking to people, the more I'm seeing they are wanting a connection with 
someone that will care for and pastor them. It doesn't have to be the person that's preaching on Sunday. Yeah. Because in a church central size, that would kill Pastor yeah, Bill absolutely. if he had to talk to in a deep way. But thousands of people could not be exactly. personally connected to Bill. That can't be done. But yeah. the fact is, everyone needs someone. Absolutely. And Andy, Andy Stanley once said, "You know, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone." And so, if everyone in your church, every mature believer were to say, I'm going to do for one what I could do for everyone, everyone would be cared for. Right. And everyone would have someone that they could call at three in the morning. Right. If there was a crisis. Yeah. And we're not putting one person on a pedestal that when they fall, the whole thing falls apart. Right. Yeah. And I think there's still a lot more work to be done because we have seen way too many crises of leadership. And often it comes down to, one person has too much power and too little accountability. Right. Yep. And there's a second side of that, too, that, it, again, this is another shift in ministry, is that um, part of what I wrote about is that um, kids who um, had a constant person in their life, an adult person in their life, through their entire high school and into university careers, um, were much more connected to the church, much more in connected to God, because they had that constant presence. Uh, what we're finding is that can't be your youth leaders. In fact, uh, not youth leaders, sorry, youth pastors. Often, it can't be your paid staff, because our paid staff aren't sticking in churches for very long. I think, you know, a long time ago, the average for a youth pastor was two and a half. They weren't even making it to the three-year mark in a church. And so kids weren't even making it all the way through high school, and you're having a shift in your pastoral leadership. And so to that end, um, this is where some of the people who attend the church who are longtime members are even more important than the pastoral staff and the formal leadership because they're the ones that are there for the long run. They're the ones that are connecting to the kids and the youth and young adults, and they're there right through all the stages of life. And so those are the people that are actually most important because we need those long-term connections. You mentioned at the beginning the, the life group you and I have been part of for a long time. And part of it is, you know, people might join us on a Monday night and, be go, and go, boy, you guys are the least churchy life group I've ever seen. And it's like, well, no, but first of all, I don't want to challenge you. you know, there's a challenge to your definition of church. But secondly, it's just because we've been there for each other. It's the power of presence. Pastor Bill talks about this all the time, the power of presence, the power of just showing up. And when you show up days and days and weeks and years, real life transformation happens. And so when we have paid leadership shifting on a regular basis, um, the, nothing happens. There's no life transformation because somebody isn't there to carry you all the way through. So my encouragement to pastors now is don't take a job unless you're willing to stay seven to ten years. Your first two years are a wash anyways. You're just getting established. You're just building a culture of trust. But if you don't make it to that seven or ten year mark, um, you have, you're cutting off any potential growth, and then they have to start all over again. And so, um, you know, to, to the point you were making, that we need some consistency in ministry. And so yeah. that, that, is, that is sadly lacking, um, but desired, deep desire. Absolutely. And now it's like, had you and I only known each other for a year or two, and then you went off somewhere else, we probably wouldn't be in contact. Oh, yeah, there'd be no reason to. But I'd be like, remember that guy that used to answer phones across the desk from me? Yeah. <laughs> he was a nice guy. I wonder whatever happened to him. <laughs> There'd exactly. be nothing beyond that. But you and I have not been in the same church. Right. 
for years now. Yep. And it doesn't make a difference. Right. Because it's the relationship that takes precedence over the, the church entity that we yep. <laughs> happen to be a part of. Right. And that's, again, the power of presence, the power yep. of staying somewhere and staying faithful yep. to the people that you know, you're ministering to. And I think this is really important for our way community to hear is that we really do want to be a long-term yeah. presence in our community. We are too new to be able to prove that yet. Right. But that's our heart's desire. We're not looking for the next thing to go running to. We want to be present in this community for you and alongside of you to empower long-term relationship. Right. And you can only prove long-term faithfulness over a long, long time. time. Yeah, absolutely. So right now we're talking about it. But it's also been really neat to see that a lot of people coming into Way have been connected to Pastor Chris hmm. for a long time. Right. And so that is already playing itself out in yeah. some of those relationships. And so that is, we want to be present and yeah. to show that ministry of presence. It is far more rewarding than jumping from place to place to place to place to place, which yeah. I did a lot of in my 20s. Yeah. And now I desire to be stable yep. <laughs> and, yep. and to be somewhere and to be able to care for people. Right. And... Yeah, it's it's super important. And so I just want our listeners to hear that is that we actually care for you. Mm. And our goal is to 10 years from now be able to look back and say look at how far we've come together. Yep. Yep, and what you'll learn is that over the years you won't remember the specifics, you won't remember individual podcasts or sermons or you know, I think of all the things I taught in youth nights and and stuff. But you do remember the relationship. You remember, how, I, I can't remember who said it, but you, you remember how those people made you feel. I think it was Maya Angelou or another author. You always remember how people made you feel. Um, and so long after all this is done and people are, are, are going, what's a podcast? You know, because uh, yeah. th- th- this is come and gone. Um, people still remember that connection and that presence uh, saying, hey, that person was always there. And so that's the legacy we want to leave behind. And that's the legacy we want to leave to the next generation. You know, we can't and they won't remember all the specific ways we led the church, but they will remember how we made space for them. We will, they will remember how we empowered them and helped them so that when they had that power, they knew what to do with it. Um, they won't remember uh, what color the walls and the carpets were, um, which is good because the bright red carpets need to go away. Doesn't this personal opinion, by the way. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> but they will remember a church that made space for them and, and allowed them to encounter the God who loves them and made them who they are. And uh, we don't want that to, we don't want to do anything that gets in the way of that. Absolutely. And I think this is a great way to end. Andrew, I appreciate you taking the time to to chat with us. Yeah. Thank you for being with us. And to our listeners, again, if you want to talk to someone, reach out. We are here for you. Podcast at wayneagra.ca, or you can reach out to myself or Chris or Steve individually. We would love to start or continue a caring relationship with you. And so thank you so much for tuning in. Bye for now.